0: Welcome to FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Dan Slagle, and it was recorded on Sunday, December twelfth. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love the chance to connect with you, so drop us a line at podcast at faithbridge.org. And if you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi. And you can always join us for FaithBridge online at faithbridge.org/slash/live. Here's Dan. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Bridge. Whether you're here in the live service, in our communion service, or coming to us online, it's great to have you with us today as we continue in our sermon series, How to Be Human, another look at the Ten Commandments. Today we're going to be looking at the Third Commandment, which is found in Exodus 20. But before we jump into that, let's take a moment and pray together. Father, thank you for today and the opportunity and privilege that is ours to gather in your house, to lift up the name of your Son, Jesus, to worship Him and glorify Him. We pray now as we turn our attention to the written Word, your Holy Spirit would come just as you promised to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, on October 20th of this year... Mr. Jonathan Toby, a nuclear engineer for the US Navy, and his wife were indicted on charges of espionage and an attempt to sell top military secrets to a foreign agent for some 5 million dollars. Of course, they were arrested right away because the so-called foreign agent was actually an undercover FBI Agent. And they remain in jail today, awaiting trial sometime in May. One of the many sad aspects to this story, and and there are many, is the fact that uh, Mr. Toby comes from a long line of individuals who have served our country faithfully in the military. His father is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force Reserves. His grandfather, a veteran of World War II. His great-grandfather fought in World War I. An incredibly rich heritage that is now gone. I mean, can you imagine the degree of shame that his father must feel when he thinks about the poor Frightfully poor decision that his son and daughter-in-law have made that will impact the rest of their lives. I mean, for generations, the, the, the Toby name was a name of honor and duty to the country. But in just a matter of minutes, all of that was shattered. And now the name Toby is inextricably bound with betrayal and with shame. I have to think, as the two of them sit in jail today, they look back on that decision with more than just a little remorse, a tremendous amount of regret, that they tried to attach a price tag to their family name. I mean, can you really attach a price to a name and a reputation? Well... God doesn't think so, at at least where His name is concerned. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the third commandment says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Now, understandably, most of us, uh, when we hear this commandment, think of swearing probably the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, An illegitimate, dishonorable, vulgar use of God's name. And it certainly includes that. Our God is high and lifted up and holy and righteous and worthy of all honor and praise that we could ever give Him. Only a fool would speak of His name in a vulgar, dishonorable way. But I have to think that there is a little more to that commandment than merely addressing speech. Especially when you consider the context that the commandment is given with the other, some of the other commandments that address things like murder and adultery and theft and idolatry. I imagine God had a little bit more in mind, probably a lot more in mind than simply the way we talk and the way we speak of him, And I think the key to understanding the fullness of this commandment is found in the word vain. You know, when something is done in vain, it's a waste. It's useless. Might as well not even have been attempted. It's unproductive, unworthy. And God is saying, don't attach my name to anything that is to be done in vain, that is wasteful, that is useless, that is unproductive, because that has absolutely nothing to do with my character. Speaking God's name in vain is one thing. But taking His name in vain to the world is something else altogether. Because you see, when we become Christians... We take God's name. Paul says, we've been adopted into his family. We are Christians. And that name goes with us everywhere we go. And God's expectation is that we are going to be his ambassador to a broken world that desperately needs his message of hope in the midst of hopelessness, his message of life in the midst of death. He's looking to you and to me to represent him to the world. And his expectation is that we are going to do that in ways that are honest and genuine and productive and fruitful, things that glorify the name of God, not in things that waste his name, not in things that would besmirch his name, that would reflect bad upon his name. I think that's what God is really trying to get at in this commandment. Sure, watch your mouth, but watch your life. Because it is your life, ultimately, that represents God to the world. And what will that representation be? There are any number of ways that one can take God's name in vain, in the manner of which I've been speaking But as I look around and as I look in my own heart, I observe that there are three rather typical ways that we are inclined to do this. I'm not suggesting that anybody wakes up and decides in the morning, oh, this is what I'm going to do today. But again, as I look around and look in my own heart, I see these patterns repeated. And the first way we can take God's name in vain is simply to be apathetic. Apathetic to the things of God. To not care about the things of God. To not care about God himself. To not care about the things he's passionate about. To not care about the things he is compassionate about. To be utterly indifferent to the things of God. And you know, that's not a really difficult place to find ourselves in. Life's busy. We get preoccupied. It's easy to get wrapped up in other things rather than God's things. For example, uh, if I were a betting man, I think I would be on pretty safe ground to bet that most everyone who can hear my voice this morning can't recall the last time that you actually told someone about Jesus. confession. As I wrote this sermon, I had to stop and think myself, when was the last time that I did that? And I had to reach all the way back into the summer since the last time I did that. And we can use all the excuses in the world, you know, I don't really know what to say, Uh, it could be awkward, I might misrepresent God, uh, on and on. But at the end of the day, friends, we're going to do the things that we really care about. The things that really matter to us, we're going to find a way to do them. Whether it's trying to lose weight or improve our golf swing or move up in the company or become a student of the stock market, learn how to play an instrument. I mean, whatever the case may be, if it's something that we're really interested in, it's something that we really care about, then we're going to find a way and the time in order to do that. And conversely, the things that we don't care about, we're not going to do. They won't come to mind. They won't be a priority. And we certainly won't make them happen. How about you? As you carry God's name into the world, what is the mark? What is the posture of your heart? Is it one that is passionate about God, one that cares deeply about God and what he's about, or is it one that is wrapped up in other things? Apathetic. You probably heard it said that the opposite of love is not hate, but apathy. That says to me, if we're going to be passionate about the things of God, we first have to love God. That's why Jesus commanded us, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because Jesus understood interest, passion, caring, all of those things flow from a heart of love. And I can be just as guilty as anyone else of becoming apathetic about the things of God. It's something that we have to be on guard against all the time. And our actions and our choices and our priorities will reveal the truth every time. Not long ago, my wife Becky and I were driving down the road just having casual conversation about this and that and the other thing. And I said to her, you know, I've noticed about myself, I really have a hard time remembering Children's names. And without missing a beat, I mean, just like that, she said, That's because they're not important to you. (laughs) Okay. If you know Becky, she's never been one to mince words. But I, I, I couldn't deny it. I couldn't deny it. It wasn't important to me, so I didn't bother with it. Are the things of God important to you? how do they measure up to other things in your life? Remember, we're taking God to the world. And if what the world sees is apathy, eh, get to it if I can, why bother? What sort of picture are they going to take away about the God who supposedly came to save them and wants to save them? Do the two measure up? Another way I think we can take God's name in vain is to be selfish. If if being, you know, apathetic says, I don't care, being selfish says, I only care about me. It's my agenda that really matters at the end of the day. Uh, As John Maxwell, the leadership guru, says, uh, every person carries around with them two books that tell the world about the state of their heart, their checkbook and their date book. How we spend our money and what we do with our time says volumes about who we are and about how much we care about other people and the state of generosity in our heart as well. Not long ago... I had an opportunity to have lunch with a gentleman who uh, could only ever be described as generous. I mean, everything about this man is generous. Not just with his resources, but I mean, uh, with his smile, with his laugh, with his hugs. Just, the, the man just radiates generosity in every aspect of his life. And I was curious to know how... Now, mind you, Becky and I, throughout our married life and, and before, we... We have always been tithers and and even tried to do over and above that. But through my conversation with this man, I came to see that even though I was doing the right thing, my heart was upside down when it came to generosity. My perspective was, to be truthful, yeah, I've earned this money and it's mine and I'm going to do God a big favor by giving him 10% and a little more. But talking to this man, I saw a completely different approach to money and material possessions. He truly understands it to be all God's. And his job is to be strategic in making sure it gets to where God wants it to be. And I sat there fascinated as the outline for me. So my wife and I, you know, we figured this out, that we want to use this part of our income to help a missionary get started in their ministry. And we're going to be earning this amount of income in order to help Faith Bridge accomplish some of its goals. And this amount of money is going to go to a ministry that we really believe in, which translates the Bible into other languages. And there was so much joy and so much happiness surrounding the description of what he was telling me that one could hardly deny the love that was flowing from that and the trust The trust. You know, if if apathy is born out of a lack of love, selfishness is born out of a lack of trust. Lack of trust. We don't really believe that God is going to take care of us. And so we hold on to those resources and dole them out only to the degree that we're sure Our little red wagon is still in good shape. And we do the same thing with time. The exact same thing with time. We hoard it. We hold on to it. Our culture is um, focused on time. Big emphasis on efficiency and time management. And nothing wrong with those things. I'm all for them. I believe in them. The question is, efficient and managed for what? And for who? For God's sake? Or for my sake? I wonder what would happen if God's people, just the ones who can hear my voice, were to say, moving forward, my time belongs to God. And I'm going to give Him complete access to to my time, and my energy, and do whatever it is He's calling me to do in any given situation. I have to think the world will be turned upside down yet again, just as it was by the original twelve disciples. Now some of you may be thinking, okay Dan, that's that's really a high and noble, lofty thought there. Give me something to grab a hold of. Let's make this practical. Let's bring it right down. What does it mean to give God my time? Well, in a word it means serve. Serve. Jesus said of Himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. When it comes to serving, I adhere to the philosophy of bloom wherever you're planted. You don't have to go somewhere in order to serve. Start at home. I'm sure there are plenty of things that need to be done around home. School, work, church, wherever it is that God leads you, wherever it is that God takes you, I guarantee there will be an opportunity to serve. And in that act of selfless service, you will be glorifying God's name, not taking it in vain, not misrepresenting Him to the world. God gives us money, And he gives us time. And he has a limitless supply of both. And if we trust him, if we take him at his word, we can hand both over to him and say, Lord, spend as you will spend. Take what you will take. And I'll trust you to take care of me. We can dishonor God and take his name in vain by being apathetic, by being selfish. One other way I'll mention, and that is through sin. Sin. Choosing to live in ways that are not in accordance with God's will. Sin, which always and only ever leads to death. You see, God can't use a broken, dead vessel. God is about life. God is about imparting life. And if we're choosing to live in such a way that our heart is rendered dead, God can't use us. Now, hear me well. I understand that all of us, most every day, sin. All of us are in need of forgiveness by the end of each day. What I'm talking about, though, is orientation. What's the overall orientation of your heart? Is it toward the things of God? Are you drawn toward the things of God? Are you seeking to know Him better? Are you growing as a disciple? Are you being conformed to the image of His Son? Are you deepening in your understanding of the things of God? Or is your orientation more toward sin? Moving toward things that you know are not in keeping with His will. Moving toward things that you know will only be destructive. Moving toward things that the Holy Spirit has clearly revealed to you. This is not what I want you to do. The world is watching and drawing conclusions, and making judgments about our God based on our lives. I've known some Christians, self-confessed Christians, who are actually rather boastful about their sin. I had a man in my office once, and in the course of our counseling session, he made it clear to me, nobody messes with me. I don't take guff off of anybody. And if you ever cross me, forget it. You're out of my life. And I'm thinking to myself, don't remember that scripture passage exactly. Don't remember Jesus ever talking that way. And when I made an attempt to point those things out, he got angry at me. But he was actually rather proud of his arrogance, his bluster, his anger. There are others of us who aren't boastful or proud about our sin, but nevertheless, it's, it's out there for public view. Folks are watching and folks can see, you know, what do we do with the latest little tidbit of juicy gossip? Can we hardly wait to, to get it out there? What do we do with our expense reports? little fudging here and there. How do we treat our family? Are we disrespectful to our spouse in public? Are we verbally abusive to our children? Others of us may not be boastful. We may not even be public. We may have convinced ourselves we're keeping our sin secret. We're at least doing our dead level best to hide it from the world, the affair that's beginning to blossom, an addiction that we're not quite ready to call an addiction yet. Yeah, we we do it a whole lot more than we probably should, but I'm not going to go so far as to call it an addiction. Never mind that it's controlling me and I'm not controlling it. dipping our hand in the till at work. Just once in a while. It's a big company. They, they're not going to miss it. We rationalize and we justify and we say to ourselves things like, it's not, not going to hurt anybody. This is just my deal. But here's the thing about sin, friends. It's never private. It's never secret. All things are open to the eyes of our God. And ultimately, all sin, proud, public, secret, destroys It destroys us from the inside out. It destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with others. And it's not that God doesn't want to use us, it's that He can't. Because we have chosen to orient ourselves toward things that are not of God and that are more of what we want to do. I never cease to be amazed that God has called the likes of you and me to represent Him to the whole world. There is no plan B. There is never going to be a day where God writes across the sky, I am here. No. Jesus said to us, go into all the world. You, go into all the world and preach my gospel how much more motivation do we need to live a life that honors our God who has given us such an amazing responsibility what are we going to do with that privilege are we going to glorify the name of God and show to the world how beautiful how lovely how awesome he is Or are we going to compromise through apathy, selfishness, and sin and take His name in vain? I think it's good to be reminded of this basic choice from time to time. And I have to believe that you're not here by accident today. Because all of us from time to time are apathetic and all of us from time to time are selfish Even if we're not mired in a particular sin, we've got things going on. And I think today would be a good day for us to clear the decks. Just to come clean with God. Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, If we will confess our sins, if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we've got to come to that place of confession, which simply means to agree. God, I agree with you. I'm not living as I should. I'm not becoming the man or the woman that you've created and called me to be. So let's spend the closing moments of our worship service doing just that. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we do confess to you that our hearts are prone to wander, that we do get preoccupied with things that ultimately don't matter to the neglect of the things that do. We confess to you, Lord, that uh, we're so fearful and untrusting that we hoard and we grab and we fail to be generous with all that you have given to us. And of course, Lord, you know all of our hearts. You know the sins, those that are public and those that are secret. But we stand on the promise of your word this morning and we confess all of these things to you. And we ask you, Lord, forgive us. Wipe the slate clean. May today be another day for us to step forward more in love with you than when we came in this morning, more determined than ever to represent you to a broken world, more determined than ever to be used by you for your purposes. Help us, Lord, to be persons who only take your name to glorify that name.